Hello and thank you for listening to episode 292 of 60MW. I'm Dave and this is another of our Grimfest interview shows. And this one is all about the movie 10 Minutes to Midnight. In it I chat with writer, director, editor, producer Eric Bloomquist, cinematographer Thompson and Gouin, actor-producer Adam Wepler and actor Caroline Williams. Once again, this is another interview show that's on our YouTube channel, so if you'd like to see us having a chat, you can do on there. And also, once again, this is another show where you can win a free Grimfest pass to watch this movie. All you've got to do is wait until the end of the show, be the first person to email us the special Grimfest word, and we'll shoot you the pass right over to you. So until then, sit back, relax, get comfortable, and get ready for some 10 minutes to midnight chat. First of all, obviously, thank you, all of you, for joining me. This is, I've got to admit, this is the most I've had in one Zoom call, five. So you've set a new record right from the beginning. How about that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the obvious way to start, of course, if we could go around the board, and for everybody that's going to watch this and for the listeners to our audio show, if you could just introduce yourselves, your part in 10 Minutes to Midnight, uh, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. And, of course, ladies first. Thank you. I'm Caroline Williams. I play Amy Marlowe. Uh, I'm Eric Bloomquist. I directed Rope. He's uh, one of the producers in the movie. Thompson? I'm Thompson Wynn, and I was, uh, I'm the cinematographer of the movie. I'm Adam Wepler. I am one of the producers, and I also play Aaron. And I think also, that, like I said, uh, before we started the actual recording part of this, uh, I only ever come into interviews for these, especially with one question. And it's for you, Eric, for again, for everybody watching and for everybody listening. What is 10 minutes to midnight? What is 10 minutes to midnight? Yeah. 10 minutes to midnight uh, takes place on one rainy night at a rundown small town radio station when their longtime overnight disc jockey, Amy Marlowe, comes into work after possibly being bit by a bat. And upon entry, she also pieces two and two together that she is getting the boot and is getting replaced. And her replacement is now shadowing her. And as the night goes on, things get weirder and weirder, both interpersonally and uh, biologically. <laughs> Just right from the beginning, one of the things I loved about this is the way that it plays with, it plays with time it plays with reality and even from the very, very beginning, it even plays with aspect ratios and you start off with four, three. And one of the things I love about it and independent filmmaking in general is they are nowhere near as predictable as mainstream movies. And watching this, I'd got no idea what was going to happen next. I'd got no idea how it was going to end. And I love that when, <laughs> when watching the film. So when, when you were writing it, Eric, because... And again, I don't want to give any spoilers because people haven't watched this until Grimfest and the show will be out before then. When you were writing it, Eric, what was the process of, of putting this whole thing together, the whole narrative? Because it goes off in so many different directions. Um, my brother Carson and I were writing it together and we thought that it would be interesting to, for it to be a movie about transformation, using vampirism as a metaphor for some kind of forced death by way of forced retirement and then what that is an early idea was making a movie that we could 
uh, portray the subjective experience of fear, of dread, of seeing things through somebody's eyes um, as part of that transformative process is the world around you starts to shift. And so that was an early idea. And then once that was all sort of the groundwork was laid for that, um, conversations with Adam early on creatively were just about refining that logic. So things that seemed random or um, unexpected still rooted in some kind of uh, strong movie logic for what was actually happening in terms of the line between reality uh, hallucinations and then like full on like otherworldly yeah. fugue state. So we set up our own rules for that, um, which I can't go super into right now without going into spoilers. <laughs> but I'd be happy to do a follow up show. But just to make sure that that was really clearly defined in terms of like um, what that visual vocabulary was mm-hmm. with, with Thompson, what the, what those performances were. Uh, and so that everybody here had an idea of what was really happening and what wasn't really happening because that affected performance and how scenes were, were done. Did I, did I cover that Adam or did I miss yeah, it? No, that's, that, yeah, that's spot on. Um, instead, we don't have to, the audience doesn't, we don't have to tie up everything really pretty for the audience. The audience is smart. They're going to, and, and you want to start out of interpretation with, a, with these kind of themes. But your logic needs to make sense to you. Our logic needs to make sense to us. They don't, people don't need to necessarily know everything we're thinking, but we need to know everything we're thinking, and it needs to be congruent throughout the film. Yeah, and I think that's really good that you leave a lot to the viewer as well. It can be interpreted in, in all sorts of different ways. And with you, Caroline, I mean, to begin with, it's always great to see you on screen, so it's good to see you on screen once again. Thank you. You carry this movie all the way through. Uh, one of the things I want to say right from the off as well is one scene particularly had, had me just locked to the screen. And then that it's, it's when you have this big rant in the radio, in the radio station with Sienna. And I wanted to know, and I love that. I love, um, Adam Sandler angry. I love, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think now you've beaten him for my favorite angry scene in the movie, because when you go off on it, I was just loving it. I want to know, was, was that all entirely scripted or was some of it improvised when you did that scene? Everything was in the script. Everything was written down. Um, I, I, I had the luxury of having Eric as my director. He was always right by frame. If he had to talk me through something he did, I made it clear when we first came into this because it's such an extremely different thing. I've never done anything like this before. This isn't, you know, it's a spectacular opportunity, but I wanted to make sure I stayed absolutely true to, you know, her emotional journey. I didn't want to resort to any Carolinisms. I didn't want to go into any little habits or default positions or things like that. I wanted to make sure that I stayed absolutely true to Amy and, and, and the journey she was on. And Eric was right there crafting every moment with me and I haven't worked that closely with the director in a very, very long time. The closest probably would be Greenlight and Graham Denman. There's a lot of commonality between those two directors, frankly. They've got the same sensibilities, they've got the same intelligence. And um boy, Eric was just right there guiding me through every single moment. And 
I think of the cast, we were an ensemble cast. Uh, I may have been in the lead role, but we were an ensemble cast and the other actors were just so solid. They were so on their game. It was very difficult to not feel completely confident and ready to go every single moment. Was You, you were saying then about the, the relationship between you and, and Eric and what a difference that made to the film. Was having the one Huge. small location in that radio station, did that make a difference as well? Because... I should imagine the bigger the movies, big, huge, lo sprawling locations and huge casts, a smaller cast and a smaller location it gives that more of a sense of community between everybody that's involved. Yes, it's a lot more familial. And, uh, you know, Amy's life is very cocooned. You know, she's been living uh, the same way for a long time and she loves it. She loves the life that she has and has had. Um, and, you know, it's it's the ground is giving way underneath of her. So um, it was it was very utilitarian to have everything precisely as it was. It was great. I'm presuming it was a real radio station, too. Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah. Yep. Because I loved seeing I've been in a few radio stations and to see a, a radio and I was fingers crossed. I thought, please let this be a, a real location to see all the vinyl to see CDs, to see cassettes. I know. was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She actually puts a vinyl record on the turntable at one point. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thrilled to that moment. <laughs> and we really, it was really cool. We, we were shooting, it was an active radio station. We, we literally were shooting on the overnight shift every night. We would roll in at like 5.30 p.m. and we would shoot until sunrise, or, you know, we'd wrap the day at sunrise. So it was very regimented. Um, but it was great because you just felt the history there and mm -hmm. you felt the... I don't know the passage of, of time and that there was memory in that place. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, of course the challenge is, and I, I know Tom's going to speak to this too, is, is, is when you're in a small one location place, how do you make the, how do you add variety yeah. visually yeah. to that? So that was, that was something that we talked about too. I don't know if you want to jump in on that Thompson, but. I mean, I think the location is so rich that we were able to, uh, you know, get simple coverage and I was able to stay away from the actors. And I think a combination of like talent and just the environment allowed us to have decent cinematography um, and be able to tell a good story um, through, you know, just great blocking and great relationships. And uh, yeah, the, the set that was basically kind of um, laid out in front of us. Because it has a lot of different looks as well. You go from the more traditional look with, as the new events are going through and then this one scene with Caroline when it's you're just stood there and it's pitch black and all there is is just a, a red phone lit up and there's the red uh, clock behind, which is a completely different look. So, Thompson, was that something that you wanted to do as the movie progressed? Because as well, like I said, it, it's playing with time, it's playing with reality, and then you're playing with looks for the viewer on screen. Everything's right. changing all the time. It's like a sensory overload as things are playing out. I think... Um... You know, because the we were working with a small location um, or a one location, uh, Eric and I were just trying to figure out how to get as many different looks. And I think it was also written in a story in order to help, you know, visually get um, different looks out of out of each location. So um, and then, you know, to add on top of that, you know, I was playing a little bit more with lighting and getting a little bit more surreal with it as as the story progresses. And it just kind of made sense for the film. And you said, Eric, as well about with using that radio station and the memories there and the passage of time plays in perfectly 
to the whole story of 10 Minutes to Midnight and your character, Caroline, of that passage of time and the memories that are in that building. So again, right. as, as a performance, did, did that help you that you got all this reality around you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you've got an authentic location that has been lived in, you can feel the human experience within those walls, you know? Um, you know, I went through the record albums. I mean, oh, great! I, I, it, that's from my era. That's my that's my jam. You know, um, yeah, it was wonderful. A, a true, a wonderful sense of authenticity. I was hoping you'd have gone through the records because I thought if I was there, I I'd did. just be flicking through everything, looking up. What they I couldn't. I, I'm, I'm just my curiosity got the better of me, and I just yeah, it was great. Oh, that's good. And Adam, you're. I mean. Caroline's character, Amy, is going, again, no spoilers, is going through a lot as, as this progresses. And in a way, you're almost like the the viewer. You're looking at it and you don't know exactly, or do you, again, no spoilers, of what exactly is is happening. So as a viewer, I was looking, to begin with, I was looking sort of through your eyes and the relationship between the two of you, because in the film, you know, you, you're good friends, and that really comes across as well. So how, mm -hmm. how do you build that as performers when you're going into a new shoot and you're introduced and these are the characters you're playing, but then you play it as though you've, you've just known each other years and you've been working for years in this place? Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the great things about this script um, and with my the other actors in this project is that there wasn't really, nobody is really clean and perfect. You know, right. everybody is really human. They have their own flaws. They have their shades of gray. And I think that it's when you're in a place like that, um, like an active radio station that is really lived in, it it feels easier to um, draw on yourself and your friends and your experience. Um, so I think for Aaron, you know, Aaron is very similar to a lot of, of uh, guys I grew up with, the guys that I'm still really good friends with. And I think that, you know, uh, trying to find his relationship, not only to his community there in, um, you know, WLST, but also his relationship to himself. Uh, and, you know, there's a point in this where he, he's torn between his self-preservation and his allegiance to, to Amy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's so much, there's so much in it with when the narrative is progressing and another thing, and again, I don't think I'm, I'm spoiling anything when I say lucid dreams are mentioned, which again pricks my ears up because yes. I've had lucid dreams since I was a kid. And I remember trying to control myself when I was in a lucid dream to stay in them. So again, seeing it mentioned, and I'm not going to say how it's brought into, into the story itself, was, some, was something really, really interesting. And there was, within this scene, Caroline, your character again, to... The way that she goes, okay, am I in a lucid dream or not? And you do something and it involves the side of your face is all I'm going to say. Great. It's like, whoa. And it's you selling that. I mean, because, of course, you've never done it in reality and neither have I. But the way that you sell it makes me go, yeah, that's how it would feel. With something so extreme, how do, how do you approach a scene like that when you've got to do something that is quite extreme? Frankly, it's the practicalities available to me 
to perform. It's a stunt mm -hmm. to perform that stunt. And once again, preparation. It, you know, we were a lean casting crew. Everybody was on their game. There was not a lot of waiting ever. And they had already gone through in their mind. And, and I want um, Eric and Thompson to, to comment about this, how to shoot it. What kind of pad do we put down? How do we sell this mm -hmm. with the action of the camera and everything? And we're also in this tiny little space. And the math of that set, the math of the, of the appliance um, was also highly restrictive. So it had, more, it had as much or more to do with Thompson and Eric blocking that out to make that moment happen. Would you? I, like that. I think that you know, it, it, with in, in another movie, the whole thing that she interacted with would have been a, it would have been constructed, it would have been built of something soft. Uh, but obviously, we're in a real kitchen and a real radio station, mm -hmm. and we have we have. That's right. We sell it with um, motion, and we we work out like. We, we're sort of pre-editing exactly what it's going to look like yeah. uh, before and little motion tricks of like, I think it's the transition that you really need because once we land, Caroline's just selling, selling it, you know, but um, it's, it's just that transitional piece to get there. And I think part of that is also the building of suspense before it too. So you will, she won't, she what's going to happen. And then you have that one key moment and then you jump in. So I, I, um, Movie, movie, movie magic. But I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was effective. Yeah, it was. It, we, definitely. We started talking about those a lot. Is like, how can we sell things like that without having the resources that one would normally have yeah. for something like that? And again, I wasn't expecting it because I thought, oh, lucid dream. How do you check? Pinch yourself. Do something like that. I was not expecting this to happen. <laughs> it just came out of left field. So, did you? Did you? How did you think of anything else for that particular scene where you thought? Okay, so to check if she is in this lucid dream, she's going to do whatever. Or was it using, because you were, you'd were you got that location that was there? I, I think we needed something extreme and and something that would be an obvious disfigurement if it happened to her, you know, in real life. Mm -hmm. And I I forget how we justified it. Adam, was that a conversation we had that Aaron was just going to be making something? Is that how we ended on to justify that specific thing? Yeah, we, we had lined it up with... Um, with uh, water boiling. And so we wanted it to be, you know, you're seeing the pressure literally build in this scene and being represented in the kettle and being, you know, mirrored by Amy. So at a certain point when it all explodes, we want it to, uh, when the release comes, you know, we want it to really be uh, something visually exciting as well. We're a shorter movie. We wanted it to feel really fast pace. We wanted to feel mm -hmm. like by the end of act two, you're like, what could they, what, where could this movie possibly go? You're having trouble keeping up with it almost. Yeah. Um, uh, in a single location and with the independent film budget, uh, I think one of the biggest things we have to be aware of is the audience getting ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So one of the challenges, uh, you know, is thinking about from very, really early on, as close to as what your final product is going to look like and you know, how to kind of uh, execute those things and keep them exciting and keep them new. Yeah. Which goes back to what I said at the start with, with independent film. And it's one of the things I love about independent film 
is you get more surprises mm-hmm. watching it. You you really do, yeah. and there's more creativity, even though you're restricted with budget and locations and and everything else that comes with it. Nine times out of ten, for me, there's there's always more creativity and uh, an inspiration on screen with independent filmmaking. Dave, you you, talk, you mentioned the scene earlier with the the red phone. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and just to your points, I don't know if others would see it this way, but. I mean, to me, that was one of the more risky scenes of the movie, even though it was just on such a small scale. Like, it might not be surprising in the way that what we were just talking about was, but I felt like it was something that we could do because we were making the kind of movie we were the way we were making it. We could spend four or five minutes with Caroline in that intimate way in the, in the middle of this monster, after, after all the... After all the stuff that happened before really trying to dance around spoilers um, uh, yeah i mean but that that to me is something that because of the model that we had we were allowed to take that risk and do an extended scene like that and really showcase caroline in that really uh specific liminal state and it's good as well because everybody reads a film a different way and with that one specific scene it, again, it gives a little bit of interpretation for the viewer as well to read it how they want to read it and and draw their own stuff from watching it too. And with Thompson, just going back to you as as well, when you're lighting all these different scenes and that one scene specifically where Caroline's just stood and you can just these two things that are in stark contrast, both both blood red. I was reading it as well. It's the blood things that are, that are there. Uh, how do you go up approaching? lighting things like this what were the restrictions that you'd got like you said within this smaller location that you'd got who wants to tell the story of lighting that scene we all remember what happened right oh this sounds interesting <laughs> oh we're trying to get the scissor list <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll preface it and then adam and Tom can jump in we were we, we were shooting that in a <laughs> middle so that was the one day that we weren't in the radio station or uh-huh. it was a half it was a nearby middle school. Um, and the plan was that when we went into the gymnasium, there was going to be a scissor lift waiting for us. Okay. And there was okay. not a scissor lift waiting oh, for us. No. And the whole lighting setup was around that. And so we had to go to the other side of the school with a walkie-talkie that was like half working with the one custodian on duty, <laughs> dig out a scissor lift from the auditorium. But like, you guys can jump in. It wasn't working. Like it wasn't turning on. And Dave, you said that it's always more exciting to watch independent movies because you're not sure what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. It's also really exciting to make them. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, the thing that you really need is what's supposed to be our single shot in a different location, right? It's going to be a totally different visual uh, than the rest of the movie. Um, and now we can't get up to hang our, our blacks, to hang our, our do team. Um, so it was definitely... There's always a unique challenge. Um, yeah, but Thompson drove that thing, drove that yeah, thing right through the school. Yeah, we had to, that was uh, quite in a, that was quite difficult actually driving across the entire school and then getting it through like that tight door frame. Um, yeah, eventually we, we got. Amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that set us back uh, quite some time. So then our lighting team had to kind of make up for, for that lost time and, and kind of light it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, that 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 lighting was um, fairly simple, and we thought about it um, and conceptualized it pretty early on, and um, made lighting plans, and it was a very fairly simple setup um, in theory. And 
So yeah, it was, uh, I think that scene in particular was um, kind of inspired by um, Under the Skin, and they did some did some scenes that looked yeah. fairly similar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we did that, and it was uh, I think it looks great, and um, it really made things. It made the film feel a lot bigger, and having all this 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 breathing room um, in terms of you know the visual composition of it. And I think it allowed you to kind of like take a step away from the tight locations of, of the um, of the radio station. A little peek behind the curtain. Then, though, that's that's a great example of of independent filmmaking creativity, right there. <laughs> Just think on your feet, overcome you know what you thought was going to be there. I mean, the the only constant is that there's going to be something unexpected uh, and, and and a hurdle you have to jump over and 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 a, you know I won't say crisis, but um, but I think we have learned as we have built the way we do things, the more prepared we are, the more room we have for improvisation and flexibility that will inevitably come. There's no other group of people that this movie could have been made with in seven overnights. No way. Would not have happened. Um, and I think it's because we all trust each other to do our own thing, but also trust each other's contributions and, and overlap and problem solving. And nobody's afraid to jump in and get dirty, which is why we can solve problems and curveballs as they come and keep moving. And everyone's down to take one for the team, um, which is part of the joy of the whole thing too, is, you know, how are we going to pull this off? I mean, we were all, we were all in the holding room on day one, like, just had dinner and we were all just standing around and I don't usually do like big old day one speeches for everybody, but I was like, let's just all take a second guys. We got this. And we all just like stood together for a second. And then we just, and then we just went off and um, really, you know, as crazy as it was, it went very smoothly. We never went over time. We, oh, we, that's good. we did it. <laughs> Can afford to go over time. <laughs> yeah, there was no option to go over right. time. Yeah, around the morning show started at six. So show started right at six. yeah, we didn't have extra. We didn't have slop days. It was, it was either get this done or have an incomplete project. That that is an extra layer of pressure, isn't it? And like you said, if you're working in a, in a, a working radio station too, and you know that people are going to be coming in in the morning, you're just constantly under the clock. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I know we're coming up to the time, and again, I don't want this to cut out on us, so we'll say, for the sake of the edit, our goodbyes now. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast having a chat with you. Can't wait for everybody to see it at Grimfest, uh, and I'm looking forward to everything else that all of you are involved with, and uh, keep doing what you do. The, the world seems to be against creative people at the moment and everybody else, but fight against it and keep doing what you do. You know, our good friend, Thank the you, great Nick Tucci, he said, uh, creation is an act of rebellion. So we're all a bunch of weirdos who like what we like. <laughs> you know, you got to keep that rebel spirit alive somehow. Definitely. Stay, stay weird is the, is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. It's been great talking to you. Thank Show you, Dave. Thank, Thank you. you. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another interview show. The special Grimfest word for this episode is cassette. Yes, you heard me talk about them. Seeing those cassettes, the vinyl, even the even CDs are getting old school now. Good Lord, how ridiculous is this? So yeah, be the first to email us and you will win a free pass for 10 minutes to midnight. 
You can do that by visiting the website 60mw.co.uk. There's a contact us form on there. Or you can email us direct, which is contact at 60mw.co.uk. Everything that we do is on the website. It's the hub of everything. All of the shows, the news, the reviews, all the links to our social media, Instagram and Twitter are at 60MW Podcast. Give us a follow on those. Always lots of different stuff going on those. And so until the next show, which will be with you very, very soon. Thank you for listening and goodbye.